Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. It is. This is Global Val here, sitting here with Diamond Dave. Yo. We're here at the Common Thread Collective Mutiny Radio. And it is Friday, August 12th. Beautiful, sunny summer day here in the, in the Mission District of San Francisco, my hometown, and the hometown of our first guest today, poet Kim Shuck. Welcome, Kim. Thank you for having me, Val. It's great to, great to have you come through. I'm pleased to be here. Okay, well, I'm pleased to be here. I'm really pleased and uh, looking forward to our conversation. What is about, where we are, and where we go. And in fact, people are invited to come down, just come through the door. We're Mutiny Radio, a storefront uh, with a lot of room for people to come through. That 21st of Florida, Mutiny Radio. So come on through and you will be included in our conversation. Hey, Kim. Yes. Why don't you open up with a poem? Or do we, have, we don't have Ubi. Let's open up with a poem and put Ubi on. And then we got Bloodflower has got his melodotivium. How do you say it? Melodium. Melodium with us. Melodica, sorry. Okay, melodica. In fact, let's begin with more. The melodica. That's what it was. Well, yeah. Let's start with a poem, and then, uh, okay. and then we'll get we'll get uh, him set up there. Flower. <laughs> okay. This is called, yeah, culturally sensitive education. I might take your history book later this fall to a stone mortar near the creek, pound it with acorns from a tan oak to meal, run it with cold water from that creek, leach tannins, leech ink, until the meal won't burn in my mouth, until it tastes clean. I could stone boil the result, damp from good water, washed free of toxins, dust it with salmon flour. It could become something useful, could be coaxed into soup, a thing I'm finally willing to feed my children. And burn some sage, and burn some sage, and uh, understand that that's not what it's about. It's about something far older, far different, and here we are. Is that right, Kim? Sure. Sure. And here be uh, with the melo- mel- melodica. Um, melodica. Melodica. The melodica. Here he be. Look, he looks so happy. Spit it Sometimes out. Sometimes I wish we had video. <laughs> video. Looks can be video. deceiving. <laughs> looks can be deceiving. Whoa. Whoa, that's a little oh, feedback. Thank you. My next piece is uh, prepared melodica. Okay. Thank you.
Thank you, Bloodflower. So cool. The melodica. The melodica. Wow, it really uh, creates quite the quite the ambiance in here, doesn't it? Kind of kind of takes us to a different different plane. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Uh, everyone, you're listening to the Common Thread Collective Mutiny Radio, San Francisco, um, here at the corner of 21st and Florida in the Mission District. And uh, back here in the studio, we've got Diamond Dave, and we're talking with poet Kim Shuck. Who, Kim, I believe you are a nominee for Poet Laureate of San Francisco. Is what I hear. Is am, am I correct in understanding that you've been nominated for that post? Startlingly, yes. <laughs> well, well, I think it's well. Um, you would well fit. And with that poem, poem you just read, takes me back, and then uh, quite blood flowery too, put me in the proper movement, the proper space to think, to, to realize the role that I see the Native American spirit plays in the emergence of poetry. So many so many of the poets, the poets I know the best, I've known you for many years at many different readings in many different places. Brings us to what it is we're about and what we're about and have to do is to bring the spirit in. And your poem is just about that, which is the history books. I talk about history, her history, that's the books, her story comes out of the women's movement of the 70s and hip story, which are the connections we can talk about, the connections to uh, uh, whatever change has been about, has been about the place to, that there's always been a place for many, many years now going back to the uh, 50, in which people can come and read their, read their poetry and get to know one another and connect. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually, they're good, but usually it's uh, each poet gets up five minutes or three minutes and does his thing, and that's pretty much it. But what we like to do here is, they say context is everything. It, context is everything. It's put the, put, this gives a chance that you and I to put it in the context of where we've been and where, what we're about. And Val as well, who certainly has her, her features, certainly is getting more and more well-known on the poetry scene. Hey, what, Val? And a lot has to do with this uh, show we do every week. Mm-hmm. It's well-deserved. Your poetry is excellent. It is. Well, it is part of that. Uh, thank you. And but the you know the connections here in the community is kind of what this co- the common thread is all about, right? So, so this network of of people and poets and artists and and uh, you know these people who who just kind of find their way uh, in, into the San Francisco scene of uh, writers and things. And it's I, I I'm still kind of amazed at how uh warm and and welcoming the like the entire poetic community really is here in san francisco you know it's a, i think it takes a lot for people to get up in front of um a, a a room full of people and read something that they've written um and uh just the the support that is really present here in san francisco is it's palpable and um it palpable. certainly helped me become uh, you know a better a better performance poet we'll say and myself, I go all the way back to 1957, 
We're in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I read this article by Kenneth Rexroth. I thought something was happening in San Francisco. He called it the first Bohemian enclave since World War II. It was 1957. North Beach, I think you can see it that way. Sea Lights Bookstore, you can see it that way. But And he talked about, in this article, about all the poets coming in. And he spoke about something called poet, poet, Poets Coiteries, which were groups of poets who were fighting with one another as to what uh, poetry should be. We had the emergence of the beats, which was brought to, to, to really took poetry off the page. I think one of their uh, one of the contributions of my generation, the beat generation, was in fact to take poetry off the page, to break down that idea of poets' corderies, and to uh, really, really open up to what now much later was called the spoken word. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so Kim. Yes. Tell us a bit about how you got into it and how it is that uh, it's so much what you do that you're now nominated for uh, Poet Laureate, hmm. which came a lot later, too. Well, I've, I've been writing since, I, since before I could actually write words down. So I've been making poems since the, the, I asked the parents. They don't know. So it's forever, essentially. But there's, um, there's a tradition in... My, my family was definitely a family that was more about listening to the radio and or playing uh, music themselves than um, about television, if that makes sense. It makes perfect I'm, sense, because that's my generation, before, too. I'm slightly before TV was really a big deal, okay? So my grandfather played harmonium and... Um, his brother played violin, and the family's just really about sharing um, creation together. So um, that's the one side of the family, and the other side of the family, there's a Naniyumwia um, tradition, my native roots, there's a tradition of making um, a prayer every morning, and you create it, and, and it's new, and you don't do it again. It's just that one for that day, and then you... So it gets you in a habit of... Um, creating a space for a thing, if that makes sense. I, I stopped makes, looking uh, at them sense. as prayer and started looking at them as um, sort of an invocation to get my head right in the day. So I've been doing this forever. But I was um, taken under the wing, um, in fact, for some years she called me her daughter, of Carolee Sanchez. Carolee Sanchez. Carole. In fact, you opened up Sunday at Burden Beckett with a poem of Carolee's, and it just blew me away that she... Uh, what you read and what did uh, and feeling that spirit they were talking about is getting in touch with the spirit is something we understand uh, we understand which we do which is getting in touch with the spirit and that's what a prayer would what a prayer is all about to me because we're not praying to some deity to some god somebody's got a book a book uh, to, that we're supposed to follow and who's going to send us to heaven and hell but when we're talking about the spirit it's a different kind of thing it's with somebody with us one another as well to you know invoke each other and support each other so carol lee um aside from being a really incredible poet was also um she curated the readings at the coffee gallery in north beach That's what I'm way, thinking, uh, back way back i was there bob kaufman was there absolutely as a young man as a fairly young man totally together and uh, able to do what he did and she, she basically put a lot of those children on stage for the first time, 
a lot of the men that you've heard of. So she wasn't a beat, but she was beat adjacent, as beat adjacent. was as was uh, Mary Tallmountain, who, if you don't know her work, you should. She lived in the Tenderloin for years, um, wrote and spent time making lunch for people who didn't have other places to get lunch, and um, has been referred to as some of the authority figures as possibly one of the best 20th century American poets. One of the authority, not anti-authority, non-authority figures, <laughs> if I add that to the mix. Because it's not only their native roots, but also their revolutionary roots. They didn't accept with the powers that be the way things are and, uh, and put forth another vision. Yeah. Which, I, her perspective was, if you feel like there are people who aren't eating who need to eat, get off your butt. Well, I could. I, I, did, uh, I did help do food not bombs yesterday. Yeah. We cook every Thursday at the Santa Cruz Collective, which is a really good kitchen called Station 40. And then we've had the Bart Plaza, food not bombs. As I was saying yesterday, food not bombs, bread not bummers. Mm-hmm. Here we'd be getting a loop, have some soup. No and time to frown, time to chow down. And food. something that I've noticed uh, kind of pop up recently, kind of in the intersection of uh, literature and food, is, you know, we've got in town, ta- you know, in towns across hopefully the world, but definitely across the United States, you've got people who put up little boxes on the street side, you know, so they have a neighborhood book exchange, like a little local library, you know, take a book, leave a book. And so um, in some communities, they're transforming them to be food cabinets. Yeah. And uh, so using it as a, a place where, you know, you put something that's you know, obviously not going to be perishable, you know, some sort of packaged thing, um, which is definitely not the school lunches you were talking about, Kim. But, <laughs> but certainly, you know, an opportunity for people to share what they have. And I, I really, it was pretty inspired by that if idea. everybody brings to what they have to bring, nobody goes without. That's the revolution starts now. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are not only, I was... Uh, I saw them in Minneapolis, of course, when I came through my hometown, and there was one, there was one which was not only food, but books as well. Wow. So we could talk about food for the body, mind, and spirit. There you go. And one of the great things we had this benefit for the 3300 Club, it was not mentioned there, uh, the 3300 Club, which another one of these mysterious fires that I never properly investigated. And uh, well, what do you see when the 3300 Club? And and uh, and the hardware store, what the hardware store, both burned out. The hardware store that we all use, and of course the long time readings at the 3300 Club, where oh she not only did she host the readings, but she uh, she always had a big pot of soup. That's right. And then we say food for the body, mind, and spirit, or the only poetry reading with a free lunch, or the only free lunch for the poetry reading. That's right. And now that's gone. That's burned up. And he wondered about those fires, and uh, it was good we had that benefit, but this was a total loss, and we need to have some real investigation to ask the Board of Supervisors. And we have friends on the Board of Supervisors. After all, they gave me my own day. (laughs) Diamond Dave, I'm not a a poet laureate, but I got my own day at the Board of Supervisors. So we have people like Avalos, um, uh, uh, Santos, Avalos, Kim, 
Uh, we have those members of the Board of Supervisors that have always shown, uh, shown support for what we're about, and I'd really like to see them make a demand, make a thing, that there be an independent investigation of all these fires. It reminded me very clearly of, do you remember in the 70s when this was happening down here? There was a spike in um, property values, and they couldn't get folks who had been there to, for a long time out of their apartments, and suddenly there were all these fires. The first one that happened, I was wondering about it because it just seemed really suspicious to me. And I, you know, folks wave the term around conspiracy theorist. I'm not thinking it's a conspiracy. I think it's individual greed. Something's going on, but it seems like the fires going all the way back, uh, like the ones talking about, these fires are too, too, uh, too, just, uh, they're not, they're, they do, the fires do what they came to do, burn out the building, you know, partially, but uh, I told her like the 22nd admission. Right. And 3,300, I looked at that with the 3,300, that's a three-story building. People live there throughout, and the whole building is gone. Yeah. I mean, they're hardware. incredibly convenient, aren't they? Incredibly convenient, that's the word. And yet there's no call for an investigation. There's no, uh, there's no, I guess there must be our, uh, people in the fire department who are assigned to be arson investigators. And I know they, they're supposed to be investigating. They're supposed to uh, be issuing a report. And yet you hear none of them. Maybe you'll say, well, it was bad wiring or some convenient excuse. Yeah, I I don't buy it. But. I don't buy it. So let's uh, let's attempt to uh, uh, to encourage the board of supervisors to say there needs to be an investigation of the whole thing, and then we have there at uh, there in Twenty uh, Fourth Street, bad fire, and some of them kill people too. I mean, so this can be considered to be murder. Yeah. And when somebody dies, it dies mysteriously. They have an investigation. And here it's not really happening. Well, it's folks coming. So anyway, Kim. Yes. So here we are, and you're on Sunday. You're going to be having a reading that you do once a month at Modern Time. Tell us, tell us a bit about that. So um, at four o'clock on every second Sunday of the month, we have um, a poetry reading at Modern Times Bookstore, where um, there will be mm, two, three features. And then afterwards, there's an open mic section. So if you come and bring one poem, um, you'll have time to read that poem. And um, we have a pretty good time. So this month, the readers are Leticia Hernandez, who is local. We have Nina Serrano. And we have uh, Charles Curtis Blackwell. And um, they're all exceptional writers. Oh, I know. And Nina, I know. I, I, I realize I know. And Charles Blackwell, talking about the history of the open mic, I don't know if he goes as far enough, far back as the coffee gallery, but the next one was right around the corner. Where was it? Uh, uh, that's where I really started. Oh, another Trieste? Scene. No, before, no, it's right around the corner. It was a, a, it's a bar. It's where they used to have dancing. Oh, um. Right around the corner, on Green, not on Green Street. But right there, right down the street from the Trieste, across the Grant Avenue, which was our stroll, what Hate Street was to the 60s, uh, Grant Avenue was to the 50s. Mm -hmm. It was a handful of people, but right there. But anyway, Charles Blackwell goes all the way back, 
and he's always been good because he brings some uh, Afro-American traditions and everything he does. He's um, he's astounding. He's both a painter and a poet, um, and I've we've been in we met through poetry um, at Marcus Books. Oh, the Marcus! Now Marcus, there's a revival of Marcus Books. The attempt to get it. In fact, they are coming back. I know I'm. Marcus Books is coming back. It's going to be at the Afro-American Cultural Center. Yeah, the they have the first floor, so Marcus Books will be back. How exciting is that? And they're going to have, maybe you could find it, they're going to have a grand opening uh, very soon. Yeah. Where, is that, where is it going to be? That's on Fulton, Afro-American Cultural Center. We got right here, we got the, uh, the, the, the Latino Cultural Center for the Arts, and what came out at the same time, out of that same movement, um, Neighborhood Arts, we had, uh, uh, we had uh, uh, Roberto Vargas here, and in, uh, in the Fillmore, we had the playwright, who's, uh, they were all in uh, Neighborhood Arts, and uh, we came through with this idea of having uh, cultural centers. This again, we're talking some past history, cultural centers in various neighborhoods, out of it came in Somar, out of it came as the, the Fillmore Cultural Center, Somar Arts, Filmer Cultural Center and the Latin American, uh, which uh, the, the Latino Cultural Center, right here in, uh, on Mission and 25th, which was the brainchild of Roberto Vargas, and Nina Serrano was definitely part of that group. Uh, Alejandro Magia, the poet laureate, uh, were all part of that early group in the early 70s that stepped forward to get things happening. That's exactly right, and unfortunately, no longer a Native American Cultural Center, but we're working on it. Yeah, that's good. There had been. Yeah. And it's really needed. So let's be working on it. Let's make these uh, these uh, the, because they're centers of the of the community. They're centers of the community for people to get together. For instance, you mentioned Native, uh, Native American, and uh, we're we're now uh, uh, trying to concentrate on getting after 40 years uh, released from from prison. Uh, Leonard Leonard Peltier. Released from prison, he's been in 40 years, and 40 years is enough. And where's Obama in his last days to pardon Leonard Peltier? But if we had a Native American Cultural Center, we would, uh, these are the kind of things that we can uh, help uh, get together, help be a local. Because local, uh, we say, what do I say? I say, think globally, act locally. But but these days, I think uh, local is what it's about. Mm. Is getting together where we are from the grassroots to be able to encourage one another, support one another, love one another, and make things happen. Absolutely, because if we're not here to take care of each other, what are we here for? Exactly, and talking about the spirit, uh, that's what I'm saying it's about. It's about doing more together than any of us can do on our own, and uh, certainly this show is all about that, is putting forth that. So Kim, I'm so glad you're here. Why don't you do another poem? Okay. Um. This one and remember, reading. Kim is up for a poor Lord, perhaps, and be even more so if people would write in. To okay, well, it hasn't gone to the mayor yet, has it? No. So where should I go to for people who say I'd I'd like to see Kim Shek as poor laureate? I don't know anybody on the committee, I suppose. Yeah, the committee, which is the committee of the library, um, which is under the library. Friends of the library. And Friends of the library. Um. I can't remember the names of the people. I'll be really honest with you. I would love to do the Poet Laureate thing, and I think I'd do a good job on it, but I'm going to be doing the stuff I'm doing, whether I get elected laureate or not. So um, 
it's it's not been a huge I haven't spent a lot of energy agitating to be that person um it'd be a huge honor it's a huge honor to be nominated but there's a lot of work to be done so that's kind of where my focus has been but if you go on the if you go on the um library friends of the library site you can drag down the list of people on that committee and you are absolutely welcome to agitate for for, for my candidacy if that's it, it does include a stipend i believe a stipend to help you spend your year being poet laureate now the uh, different poet laureates have done different things for sure right and uh we had jack hirschman's spirit although he was a poet laureate a few laureates ago uh he he's, he's still he he's the one who uh, who um, who really came up with the idea of uh, poets eleven, mm -hmm. where we had to have a real movement here, where uh, around each 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 district eleven uh, eleven supervisory districts, there'll be a poets poets eleven poets. Uh, uh, yeah, poet from each, representing each district in San Francisco, and uh, and also the library readings. I think he was behind that. He did. Well, that's part. Alejandro uh, Murguia does uh, Floricanto. Floricanto, yeah. And um, uh, I know that uh, Devora um, Major made, Major made it a point to um, feature poets from the city that people hadn't heard of, folks of varying generations and that sort of thing. I feel like um, the city itself, I mean, if if street names aren't poems, I don't know what they are. It's, yeah, you know? and so many poets. So it's many places around the city. Exactly. So to root the poetry of the city, it's, the, it's really the only thing that you, that hasn't become pretty universal. And what I mean by that is um, there was a time when I was a kid where you'd go somewhere and there'd be a thing that that city, if you went to a different city, there'd be a thing that that city did that other cities didn't do. You can get most things anywhere now. You can send for them. You can do what you, what you need to do. But what you can't get anywhere else is the local performance. That isn't everywhere. And so... Um, for me, the big focus and the thing that, that being a laureate should be about is to reveal and nurture the, the work that's happening really at ground level, you know, to help support those people, the, young, the younger kids, the people who never thought their work was good enough, because it's all part of the fabric of the city. And as the fabric loses threads, as it's been doing, you, we've got to get back in there and reweave a bunch of it. And I really think that I, I feel like people are understanding the necessity of poetry and writing and art in a bigger way as we're losing spaces, as people have to leave because they can't afford it. So it's a, it's a bigger issue just than the and, words on the page. And that's why I guess I had the vision 12 years ago, poems under the dome. Right. And I thought, well, that might be the first one. I didn't know whether it was the first one or the last one, but it... Uh, but it turned out to be the first one. And Val, you're one of the organizers for that. You and EK, I couldn't do it by, my, by myself for sure. I could think of things, but doing it is it's good to have people can do it. And Poems Under the Dome, we're now on our, is this the 12th coming up? Yeah, we've, we've done 11, and coming up in 2017, it will be the 12th annual Poems Under the Dome at San Francisco City Hall, it's a, which is a real, um, I think it means a lot for 
for poets here in San Francisco because I think a lot of us think of ourselves as kind of you know like on the in the underground or on the streets or raising raising hell or something you know something you know speaking out against some sort of establishment or um, you know as the themes may emerge you you may notice that but um, but then for all of us to be able to go into City Hall and and have that space uh, for that night. And, and EK does an amazing job. Oh. And we have other volunteers as well who go around to all the different open mics throughout the city and, and let people know about it and hold um, the, the like name draw. It's all free. You can just put your name in the hat and get your name pulled. So we have representative poets from all over the city, um, all the different varying communities that you're talking about. And exactly. Yeah, I love that reading. And um I was honored to be at it. I mean, a reader at it last time. Yeah. I'm so excited to do it. And then sitting there listening to the voice of Amazing. the city kind of coming up, you know, and just filling that space. It's really exciting. And talk about bringing free speech into City Hall. It's exactly that. Uh, we see the common thread uh, these days is coming together, doing more together. It's putting forth a politics that doesn't... Uh, that uh, is kind of like on the cutting edge of what we're about. Sure. What we're doing is that's what the poets, uh, the poets, right? Uh, Shelley even spoke of that. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible to to see. Let's hear a poem. You want a poem? This is called the Great Urban Indian Poem. The Great Urban Indian Poem has already been written. Most people missed it. The fancy dancer had finally finished his urban regalia, collected his last windshield wiper blade for his Oklahoma-Oakland back bustle, complete with Harley gas cap rosette, found himself lining up next to a red-headed San Francisco girl, her shawl edge-marked with graffiti from outside of Eli's Mile High Club, and John Lee played the two-step himself. The Great Urban Indian Poem is ongoing, but most people miss it, because there will never be a release party or even a book, and Deb Isle, though she may want to, will not play the event, and the tribes involved are conflicted because one of the poets has no CDIB card, and the other is from an unrecognized band that had never been more than obscure, and she refuses to wear the official tribal dress because, well, it's hideous, and not even historically relevant, and it makes her look like a cloth muffin, and she'd really like the cute girl in the shawl competition to look at her, but the muffin dress isn't getting that done, which is a whole other can of politics. The great urban Indian poem will be found when you don't expect it, and yes, parts are even scrawled onto those fussy coffee cup insulators, but only coffee from small local cafes because culture is at its root not something that can be sold by chain stores. There will be no signs directing people to the poem, and it will not be reviewed or published in a sanctioned literary organ, but pay attention, because if you hear Jim Pepper in the background, you might be close. Again and again. Here we are. I think we're going to put a little music on. We can, we can definitely but do that. But I want that. you to stick around, Kim, because the conversation is, this is Kim Shuck, is to be continued. I want to, before you do that, you reminded me, I'm on the red road. The red road is the warrior path, the sober path. And I want to do, the, I always love to do the poem, do the prayer of the red road. Oh, here, Val, you take my hand. Take my hand, here's the prayer of the red road. The warrior path, the sober path. This is what's helped keep me sober 16 years now. Great spirit, whose voice I hear in the wind, whose breath gives life to the world, hear me. I come to you as one of your many children. I'm small and weak. I need your strength and wisdom. May I walk in beauty. 
and that's uh, also called the beauty the beauty parade and i believe that's what you're talking about with the urban the common thread is this beauty poem is these uh, the beauty were the, be the beauty the beauty the beauty path the uh, the beauty poem and what we're about uh, what we're about and that's uh, the common thread of what we do at the Kashla, all my relations uh, and I a good day Despair, hope, where there is dark.
That's right, out there, all you freedom lovers. This is the Common Thread Collective here. You're listening to on MutinyRadio.fm here in San Francisco in the Mission District. We're right at the corner of 21st and Florida Streets. If you want to come down and join us sometime, this is a live, open studio show. So come on down and and, uh, share what you've got. And we've got a full house today. This is great. We've been talking with Kim Shuck, a poet here in San Francisco. Um, We've got Richard Sandrell, who's joined us in the studio as well. And, of course, Diamond Dave's here. And our friend Lucid, who's out on the road uh, with the Shining Light bus, is on the phone. Hey, Lucid. Hi, how are things? Oh, how are things? They're, they're really good. We got a house full of people here finding that common thread. And you talk about the, the building a symbiotic relationship, a society, a community, not of parasites, but a symbiosis. That's what I remember from your last. Uh, call in so you're in you're in la now that's where they go los angeles and you've been on the road you're about to be going back to alaska from which you came you'll be coming back but tell us lucid what's going through your mind and what do you want to add to the mix well i just wanted to draw a little bit of attention to this uh dakota access pipeline project it seems like uh, some of the the energy and the momentum that was uh, generated with the movement behind Bernie Sanders and uh, calling for greater participation in government and just a general awareness in, uh, in the actions of our country. It's, it's leading into different uh, protest movements. We've, we've been seeing it with uh, the worldwide march against Monsanto that's been uh, happening every May so far. This third annual march against Monsanto uh, happened in 400 cities across the world in 40 different countries. And uh, so I would call anybody who's interested in... in uh, organic food and the control of our food supply to help coordinate in their city a uh, uh, march against Monsanto for next May, put together and join the uh, 400 cities in over 40 countries. There's the Black Lives Matter protests that have been happening in many cities across the country. Uh, you can learn about both of those things at marchagainstmonsanto.com and blacklivesmatter.com, respectively. Well, let's talk but about... Most recently, and most directly, there's been uh, a lot of energy going into this Dakota Access Pipeline project. Yeah, talk about uh, there it. There was a, a blockade that happened just yesterday. Um, Shailene Woodley was uh, directing some energy in that direction, and uh, the, uh, a, uh, the Standing Rock Lakota were uh, were standing there dozens of people were blockading the construction of this pipeline because after several years of protesting the kxl pipeline this dakota access pipeline project has received full regulatory permission to begin construction in just a matter of months wow this this uh this bakken pipeline is set to run 1172 miles from north dakota bakken region down to patoka illinois where it'll travel to the east coast by train into the gulf of mexico and this is ex- almost exactly the same pipeline as the Keystone XL that we have worked for several years to prevent. It's almost the same volume. It's 570,000 barrels a day. And it's almost the same length. It's only seven miles shorter. It's, a, it's an incredibly large $3.8 billion project. And it's, it's being put together um, by this Energy Transfer Partners, who on the board is Gov- uh, Texas Governor Rick Perry, and with his friend, the, uh, the Iowa Governor, Terry um, Bronstad, they've uh, put forth eminent domain and they're seizing 450 properties um, to build this 
immense pipeline that will so so it's a Republican Iowa Terry Bronstad appointed three people to a committee and this committee granted this ETP the energy transfer project a corporation partially run by Terry's friend Rick Perry the power to take land away from private landowners and build a for-profit private pipeline that rivals the Keystone XL in length and volume and they're, right. they're undergoing it currently and there's been blockades happening uh, as of yesterday to try to prevent this building I saw them on uh, YouTube I saw it when they put up the teepees which is uh, which is relevant because that's what you do is put up teepees wherever you happen to be they put up some teepees uh, this is the Lakota people Standing Rock and that's the, the folks who came back uh, after getting all the way to Canada who came back they were enticed back and they came back, this is after our brother, the, uh, the chief uh, at Wounded Knee, at Wounded Knee, they came back, and, uh, and uh, part of that community, Standing Rock Reservation, and they're back now, they're putting up teepees in the place where the pipeline will be coming through. A bunch of people were dragged out and arrested yesterday, is that right? Yeah, I believe a dozen people were arrested yesterday uh, in, in the protesting of, of the movement. Uh. And that's going to continue, I'm sure, and putting up on YouTube. And I haven't seen a call out, but I'm, I'm sure there will be or there could be or there should be a call out to people who come and show support and bring your TPs and come and stay in the TPs and come and uh, because this, this project using eminent domain. Now, eminent domain is uh, never before is used uh, for private reasons where they can uh, say that the eminent domain, that they have a right to build their pipeline through your land, like it or not. Is that right? Um, it's starting to be more used more and more for private That's purposes, but this about. is uh, kind of far and beyond what it was ever uh, created to, to do. Uh, it, was, it was supposed to protect the commons, and uh, this is exactly the opposite. It's uh, seizing land from private people to give it to a large corporation for a for-profit pipeline. Yeah, I think so some it's, smart uh, it's lawyer... The opposite of what eminent domain was created for. Some sharp lawyer, some lawyer of that kind, uh, figured, had this figure, let's try eminent domain. And it worked. I think they got court, maybe even to the Supreme Court, that the eminent domain, that they can come to your land, and this is Native American land, and in, in fact, this has been one of the theme always emerges of the show. Uh, come to your land, Native American land, and say we're building a pipeline through it. And you say, I don't want no pipeline through it for a number of reasons. One is dangerous, and there's others too. And they say, never mind what you want. We got eminent domain. We can seize it. Is that right? Yeah, I have a quote here by the Science and Environmental Health Network. It Give it to it us. It the pipeline on the following grounds. It's the Science and Environmental Health Network. It says, the Commonwealth is the basis of the Iowa economy. Approving the pipeline would be a violation of Iowa's fiduciary and public trust responsibilities to the people of Iowa because it harms the commons. It is the citizen's obligation to withdraw its consent from government actions that threaten the Commonwealth of future gen generations. Eminent domain is the unique power of government to move private property into the commons where it serves as a public good. It should be not, not be used to privilege a private corporation that will destroy the commons. When the pipeline leaks, Iowa will be left with the cost of cleanup. This is a violation of the Iowa State Constitution. Wow. Those are the words of the Science and Environmental Health Network. Um, 
speaking about the just uh, absurdity of, uh, of, of taking private land from people that have lived there in some cases for generations so that this for-profit um, private corporation can move as much oil as the Keystone XL pipeline was slated to move. And this pipeline is not bringing gas, as I understand it, not bringing oil for your car, but bringing other stuff, more dangerous stuff, out of which they make plastics and things like that. Is that right? Yeah, it's, um, uh, so far this oil has been moved, uh, this sweet crude has been moved um, by trains, and they're, they're called bomb trains. Yeah, it's going down. Uh, in the sense that these trains are... Uh, extremely likely to crash and cause uh, just huge explosions. They are more volatile than uh, than normal pipelines. Yeah, but uh, and it's said that the the pipeline uh, it moves. It has three times more volume that it spills, even though it's less likely to spill than these bomb trains, these so-called bomb trains. It spills three times more oil when it ends up doing it. So it's a a tremendously dangerous project, and it moves under the Missouri River, the Mississippi River, moves under, um, in some cases, multiple times underneath the Missouri River. That's uh, the fresh water and agricultural water for millions of people. Well, and this it's is being, uh, uh, done in part by this by Enbridge, a stakeholder in the Bakken pipeline, which just spilled 1.2 million gallons of oil into the Kalamazoo River six years ago. And it ended up being one of the worst inland spills in American history just six years ago by a, sh a shareholder, Enbridge. And now they're trying to assure us that they can operate a 1,200-mile-long pipeline without similar incident. Well, this be uh, Hey, Lucid. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this to us. Please call us every week. Uh, uh, we like your contribution. And you give us a heads up about things that we weren't uh, that aware of that needs we need to have a heads up about. So thank you. And to be continued, Lucid, thanks for calling. Yeah, thank you so My much, pleasure. Lucid. Good to talk to you. I'm glad to bring this to people's attention. Oh, beautiful. Well, okay, we got another. Uh, hopefully there'll be a call out, or we're part of that call out, to go to North Dakota to support our Native brothers and sisters about this outrageous thing, this pipeline which the powers that be, these uh, Republicans still in power, it's would like to get in as long as they are in power. It's not just Republicans not just either. Republicans. Well, but Lucid, thank you so much for staying on top of this and calling in and reporting. It's really important, and I know that uh, a lot of the, the people listening to the show right now are very much concerned. Um, you know, back a few years ago when they were, they were, we were having a lot of protests against the Keystone XL pipeline and um, you know that was such a huge uh, movement and uh, let's hope that, that that movement gets reawakened and, and get tuned into what's going on right now so well, thank it's you. getting reawakened thanks to the Standing Rock uh, uh, our Standing Rock brothers and sisters who are down there putting up teepees and getting arrested on where the path of the pipeline will be. And Iowa's next. I think Iowa's mentioned. I think it's next. But that pipeline will continue until we can say it. By what, by what I meant by, by Republicans was that the people who are, uh, who are on that, uh, the, that connection between government and business does go through the Republican side. Talking about the government, uh, governor of Texas who's connected with, uh, with Cruz and that brand of Republicans and the fact that they want to get, they're hoping to get it through unless, uh, until there's a change 
even if there's a change, you're right, not just Republicans, that, they're, that the powers that be want this and getting it, and they're using eminent domain to try to get it. But most people, if they had a chance, certainly if they're, and if they're, uh, uh, if they're aware of this, and if they live in the path of this, and if their fellow Americans say that this, if they get this pipeline through, there'll be many pipelines, many pipelines going through, uh, through, it'll be part of what capitalism is. What do you think, Richard? Do you Bleed have a- me. Bleed me. That's what they're doing. Mother is out there saying, bleed me. Exactly. That's yeah. it. Let's keep it there. Let's keep, uh, let's keep those uh, uh, fossil keep. fuels there, 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 and there, and there, and we're, 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 we're now exploring other ways for power, the, whether it be wind or whether it be water or other ways to do it in a way that's not uh, destroying Mother Earth. Uh, right. Richard, soil, do you have a poem? Soil, not oil. Oh, oh and Gabriel is getting do up and doing some songs. Um, yes, I do, as a matter of Well, this is so beautiful, and the fact that we have Kim here New stuff. and Richard and Val, this be a gathering of poets. Yes. And uh, I, I'm sure you've talked yes, about did. Kim's, uh, Kim's um, reads on, on Sundays. We did. We did, in the upcoming one. This just make, make It's Sunday, a, right? Sunday. Yeah, it's every second Sunday at Modern five. Times Books. Yes. All right, well, moving from one kind of toxicity to another. Uh, this is called It Was a Time. It was a time. It was a time before a time that should never have been but was and is. A time when a young child comes back from Florida in the late 50s where his father's old boss named Fritz retires. Fritz was a rotund man with a German de of German descent who smokes big thick cigars, always smelling of them, wears big watches and jewelry looked almost like a stereotype of a mob boss. Father tells son to stay in the car. As soon as the two go inside, a young black child around 10 or 11 rides up on his bike. They introduce each other and begin to do what kids do, play. Young child is happy, he has found a new friend. As time goes on, suddenly Fritz and his father comes out of the house. Young child turns back to his newfound friend, but he is gone, never to be seen. Racism kills and harms both ways, scars seen and unseen. It was a time before ta a time when you should never have been and what, and excuse me, let me read that again. It was a time before a time that should never have been, but was a time. It was a time that moves in and out of time. The sacred hoop is in need of mending by those who have ripped at it. Reach out. Maybe, just maybe, together we can begin to repair it. Dude, Sorry for that sloppy reading. I kind of right. got distracted. Uh, no, it's just some messy business. Don't worry about it. I'm going to return to rebuild. I like that. Rebuild, rebuild, well, and it just fits in totally. We keep talking, talking about, about this stuff, but, and that's why I keep reminding us that we do keep talking about it. But in my heart and in my soul and my brain, I want it to start happening. Well, we're know, doing we can talk we... this thing to death. You know, I know there are areas that are doing it, but I'm talking about the, the people who haven't done it yet. <laughs> well, that's what uh, I guess that's one of the purposes of the show. Yes. To put that's... it around the planet, this very message, <clears throat> which is not connected to any ideology. It's not no, it's to connect it. It's to, uh, it's but is uh, but something that's coming. That's something that we're doing more together than any of us can do on our own. Yeah. So hey, uh, Kim. Yes. 
So glad you're here. We got Lucy here now, too. Hey, Lucy, poets. This is a poet's room right here. And we have Gabriella, who's going to do a couple of songs. Gabriella, there's so many people here. Why don't you come out go out? Gabriella's going to do a song, and Ivrit is a weird share. I spent a couple of years. I turned 21, in fact. You can do the math. It was quite some time ago. Ten years before the Six-Day War, I spent a couple of years on a kibbutz in Israel. And uh, the kibbutz is a commune. The idea commune, but that was way back then. Turned 21 uh, there. That was 1958. But that's where I learned some Hebrew, and I said, and Gabriel and I connected uh, at Food Not Bombs. But uh, she showed up. We were cooking, cutting veggies together, cutting it up literally and metaphorically, and I invited her to come to the show. So Kim, really, thanks for coming in. We got Lucy here. Yeah. And hopefully we join the, uh, uh, the conversation. You're welcome to stay. There'll be a lot of amazing stuff happening. I'd, I'd love to, but I'm going to give somebody my seat. <laughs> okay, that's a good idea. Lucy, Richard. Yeah, stick around. Uh, so good to have you. Oh, we had, uh, and I want you to do a poem like we're going to do another poem. After Gabriella. Well, after... We Gabriella. This is a flexible program here. You guys are out there listening to the Common Thread Collective. This is at mutinyradio.fm here at 21st in Florida in the Mission District. So you can come down and, and hop into this uh, double Dutch game uh, that we've got going on here of uh, performances and, and sharing uh, music, poetry, activism, and visions for a better world. And I'm really glad that Lucid called in today, um, as he has been the past couple of weeks, uh, to keep us uh, keep us informed about the and 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 so so well spoken um, in his uh, assessment of environmental and uh, social cultural situations. So very very happy to have everybody participate. So it looks like we've got Ga- is it Gabrielle? Gabriella. Gabriella, yes. welcome. Hi, hello. Very excited to be here today. Very excited to have you here today. So where are you from? So I'm from Israel originally. I've been uh, traveling now for a little over a year. And actually, I'm leaving back to Israel just tomorrow. So it's my last day over here, and it's the best way to spend it. Wow, perfect. Well, thank you. I'm so glad we could be here, and uh, you can kind of sing sing your way uh, onto the road again. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, I'll start with a song. It's going to be somewhere with Spanish, Hebrew, English, and everything in between.
So should I go for another song? Yeah, give it another Yes, please. Okay. This is one for peace. Just a second, I'll tune myself up. So peace in Hebrew, shalom. In Arabic, salam. Shalom So beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you. So beautiful. Keep it up. And remember, we're keeping you it too. up. You Speaking too. of keeping it up, hmm. we're definitely keeping it up. And we're heard around the planet. When you get back to the Eretz, hmm. you can hear us just by going to your, going online, and there will be hmm. streaming live and podcasted. Hmm. You'll be able to hear your own performance. Well, and you're going to be leaving soon. Is that right? Yeah, I'm leaving tomorrow, actually. But hopefully something of my spirit will stay, something of the light of the peace and the love. So peace be with you, all of you out there. And keep smiling. Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful message and for looking towards the light. That's, mm. that's what we're trying to do here on the Common Thread Collective. We talk about all these terrible things that are going on, but we, we try to, we try to um, bring that light and that perspective in. So I'm so happy you made it here today. And so good to, to come. You. Can you give us one more? Thank you, thank you. Would you like um, to give us one more? You don't have to. I want to give you a sentence instead, a sentence okay. I thought about just a few days ago. So I'm walking down the street over here in the area of Castro, and I look, at, I look down and I see many shadows, because as you know, the more light you have, the more shadow there is. But then I stopped and I thought, hey, well, you can see your own shadow, right? 
but you can't see your own light. And for that, we need each other to reflect what we have within. So all I hope is that each of us will be able to see their inner light and the light within each and every person that is surrounding us. So thank you as well. There always is light, there always is peace, and there always is love, and it is free for all of us to give and to receive. So thank you very much, and just have a beautiful day, beautiful time, and beautiful life. <laughs> Gabriella, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Kolpaseya. Now we have, hey, Lucille. Lang a day is here. Another another poet, another poet has been around for quite some time, and a theme is emerging. So so, Lucio, welcome to uh, Mutiny Radio. Thank you. And anyway, uh, you have a, you just gave me a number of books. Wild one. Here's a picture of you as a young person, and married at 14 was another, and you brought together Native American poets of California as well. So I wonder if we could begin with you read with uh, something uh, you reading something that would spark a conversation, and then we have Rainbow. Rainbow's friend is going to be coming on next, but we're going to have some conversation first. Then you guys. Okay. Well, I thought I would start by reading a couple of poems from my newest poetry collection, Becoming an Ancestor. Mm -hmm. A couple of poems about being a, a rebellious adolescent. And that has the possibility of leading in if you want me to read a little bit from my memoir. So um, the first poem I'll read is called Delinquent Sonnets, and it's uh, two sonnets about um, my adolescence. In Juvenile Hall, new juvie has bright paintings on the walls to celebrate the better things in life. Nature, growth, transformation. These murals admonish, graduate, put down your knife. Mustard-colored cells are stacked in tiers, windowless with built-in cots and stools, where teenagers alone confront their fears and contemplate new ways to break the rules. The year I was 13, I ran away from home and landed here. Back then, my cell had a window. I could watch grass sway on a hillside, hear jays and warblers call. More pleasing than a work of art to me, a glimpse of sky, a hummingbird, a bee. Wild kid, I finally have become the proper girl my mother always wanted me to be. I don't smoke hash or grass, wear mini skirts, pick up long-haired tattooed men or party till the neighbors called the police. My last drunken binge was 1970. My motorcycle riding days are past. I haven't shoplifted since 63. Oh, mama, what's to become of me? I've no regrets for anything I did. The mescaline, the baby at 15. Inside, I'll always be your wild kid. I'd gladly wear those mini skirts again if I had the legs I did back then. <laughs> that, that, was a, I, I, that was such a fun uh, poem to hear, actually. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. So back 
I mean, this is a poem that you've written in reflection of that, but were you writing at that, at that young age as well? Or when, how did you, um, how did you discover that you were a poet? I, I was writing at that young age as well, but, um, I didn't, uh, save it, start saving my poetry until I was about 17. Um, when I was dating a biker, when I was 16, I wrote a, a poem about that and my mother just said well I don't like that I don't like the motorcycle in it and I and for me if there was no motorcycle there was no poem and I thought it was a bad poem and but then I realized later of course that my mother just wouldn't like any poem with the motorcycle in it (laughs) (laughs) interesting and it's interesting though that you that you shared the poem with your mother considering what Uh, the audience right that's right (laughs) <laughs> but I, but I did. Well, you, um, just by the, some, some of this information here at the back of this, the memoir that you wrote called, uh, married at 14, sounds like you've got such a rich, um, you know, and varied, uh, set of life experiences. Um, so, um, yeah. What, what would you like to jump into next in terms of, uh, sharing a little bit more of oh. your, Okay. With us here. Uh, I could. I thought you know I could just read a, um, a couple pages from the memoir. I could read the first couple pages. I really did get married when I was 14, and I had my first child when I was 15. I divorced that husband when I was 16. I married him again when I was 17, and I left him again when I was 18 because. Um, I'd been out of school from the time I was 14 until I was 17. He wasn't a high school graduate either, and he didn't want me to go back to school. Hmm. And uh, anyhow, I knew he was wrong. But anyway, I was a, a wild kid, and um, and I didn't get married at 14 because I had to, But because, and it wasn't a shotgun wedding, but I really wanted to. I wanted to catapult myself to adulthood. I didn't want to be an adolescent. I didn't want parents and teachers telling me what to do. I wanted to be my own person and be married and have a baby. Of course, I found out that made my life much more difficult <laughs> than, it, than it would have been if I'd just stayed in school. But anyhow, uh, I'll just read a little of, of this. Uh, this is um, the, f- the first chapter, beginning of the first chapter, which is th- called Worse Than a Dozen Kids. And that's a quote from my mother. My mother always told me I was worse than a dozen kids. A reverse result to me. What's a dozen kids? Well, I'll be just that. <laughs> well, you told me well, you said I'll be just that, and I can get a chance to get your attention. Yes, and, and that, if not, I'll get married at 14, which you did. That's right, and that's what I did. Well, I thought I'll be worse than two dozen kids if, if that's what she's going to say. I have to outdo my mother. So this is the beginning of the book. I own a switchblade knife. It has a black plastic handle with two brass buttons. One button is the lock. When you slide this button to its uppermost position, the knife won't open, a handy feature that prevents it from opening in your pocket. But when you slide the lock button all the way down, then press on the larger brass button in the middle of the handle, the blade pops out with a click in less than a second, making a clean 180-degree arc. 
There is a special way to hold a switchblade so that you won't cut yourself when it opens. You cradle it in your palm with your thumb on the large button, the tip of your index finger pressed behind the base of the blade, and your remaining fingers curled beside rather than around the handle so as not to interfere with the opening blade. Bill Arthur taught me this when he gave me the knife. He was 19, a blueprint delivery boy. I was 13 in eighth grade. I almost had to relinquish the knife not long after acquiring it. I was smoking on my, the way home from school and a boy named Ken followed me and threatened to tell. I pulled the knife from my purse, holding it just as Bill had shown me, and pressed a button. When the blade popped out, I waved the knife at Ken and said I'd cut him up into little pieces if he finked on me. He called my bluff and fink he did, not only for my smoking, but also for threatening him with a switchblade. The next day, I was called to the office of Mr. Lewis Ferry, principal of Piedmont Junior High School and told that Inspector Lamp wanted to see me at the Piedmont Police Department across the street from the school. I stopped on the way to put the switchblade in my locker. We have a report that you threatened a boy with a switchblade knife yesterday, said Inspector Lamp. That's crazy. I've never even seen a switchblade. Why do you think the boy said that? I pulled my keychain from my purse. On it, I had a fold-out nail file in a unit that also included a tiny knife less than one inch long. I held the handle and flicked my wrist. The little knife popped out. Inspector Lamp said, you'd better give that to me. And I took it off my keychain and handed it to him. Then he asked me to empty my purse, which was close to the size of a suitcase, all the better for shoplifting. But only my makeup, brush, comb, wallet, tissues, pencils, pens, chewing gum, cigarettes, matches, and a Hershey bar came tumbling out. He took the cigarettes and matches, then asked if I'd like to see his collection of switchblades. His were much finer than mine. Some had bone wood or mother of pearl handles. Many had much longer blades. They're illegal, he said. We don't give them back. Nevertheless, I kept mine, which was tucked safely behind my math and history books in my locker. I wasn't about to hand it over to any cop. It was a symbol of who I was. It meant I didn't play by the rules. It meant I made up my own rules. It meant I was a rebel. It meant I was bad. I've had my switchblade now for over 50 years. For two decades, I kept it in my desk with other childhood mementos in a pink box with my treasures stamped on top. Now I keep it in my bedroom in a drawer in an antique oak dresser with other special things like my gold charm bracelet, my children's milk teeth, and my Phi Beta Kappa key. I started seriously looking for a husband when I was 12. I'd had enough of being a child, enough of being told what to do. I was unhappy at school. I resented homework. I didn't get along with my mother. Having seen movies like South Pacific, Sayonara, and A Summer Place, I believed in true love. More than anything, I wanted Rosano Brazzi, Marlon Brando, or Troy Donahue to, to come rescue me from my childhood. I wanted to be an adult, to be free, and to be loved. Oh.
Fabian. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Fabian. And all that's in Piedmont. And that's what? just the beginning of the story. <laughs> and you came in, and you handed me a whole bunch of books, and I looked down, and it says, hey, Scarlett Tanager. I guess that's you, too, eh? Yes, that's... So you put out there your own books and others, too? Um, so far, I've just published this one book um, of mine with Scarlett Tanager, uh, Wild One. Um, and I also published this, um, I published mostly other people with Scarlett Tanager, but I also published this anthology of Native American poetry that I co-edited with Kurt Schweigman. Uh, my memoir was published by Heyday, and then the other books I've given you were published by other small presses. So, um... So should, I, should, should I go yeah, on and read anything oh, from I'd love to read something from the wild one, which is oh, Scarlet Tanager. Okay. And I look at the back, and here's Daniel J. Langton, a man I knew back in the beatnik days. He was teaching at State even back then, he, but he was part of a crew of poets that included North Beach poets way back then. I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, he was one of my mentors. Um, I, I did my uh, MA in, in English creative writing and an MFA in creative writing at San Francisco State, and he was my thesis advisor, and I was in poetry workshops with him, and um, I think he's a wonderful poet. And well, I knew him as a young man. It's funny, as uh, you're 68, and uh, I'm 78, and what we're learning as we go on in life, we're learning... Uh, um, we're learning what I said just before I turned 78. And I'm thinking, oh, an old man, now it's all over. And then the Spirit speaks to me. And I think one of the things that we learn, and learn, if it will, is that the Spirit can speak to you if you're open to it. Open to it, and that's from whence poetry comes, if you're open to it. And I think that's what you're about, being open to it. And what I heard just before, and I'll pass it on to you and all the folks out there, just before I turned 78. I got you beat by a decade, but we're doing well. Because what came to me just before I turned 78 were these words from the Spirit. And she said, learn to love, love to learn, this never ends. And I thought for a moment, I said, that's right. 78, what the hell? I'm not going to embrace... I'm not going to cover with myself of being an old man because at 25 or 30, when I think of a 78-year-old person, I thought of a really old person. And those stereotypes come, come at us. But in fact, if you say learn to love, love to learn, this never ends. So read a poem, uh, Lucy. Okay, yeah. Well, I just want to say first that I agree with that wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm 68, and I don't feel like an, like an old person, and oh, I can... No. I can still and, love and you to certainly learn don't and learn to love. And <laughs> I can do it all. And you're certainly very young looking. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, so this is, um, I'll, this is from Wild One. This is a, a poem called 15. I was pregnant that year, stitching lace and purple-flowered ribbon to tiny kimonos and sacks. I still thought sperm came out like pollen dust in puffs of air. I ate cream of wheat for breakfast, unsalted, diapered a rubber doll in my Red Cross baby care class and sold lipsticks and gummy lotions to housewives to pay for a crib. Oh, it was something giving birth. When my water bag splattered, I screamed, and the neat green anesthesiologist said, why don't you shut up? Up yours, I shrieked. 
breathe deep, was the last thing I heard him say. Ten minutes later, I woke up. The obstetrician with his needle and thread busy as a seamstress winked at the pink-haired nurse who brought me my baby girl, wrinkled and howling. She's lovely. I'd like a cheeseburger and milkshake now, I said. Wowzy. <laughs> well, your poetry is drawn from your life uh, for sure. Where is that uh, that pink-cheeked uh, baby girl now? How old is she? I, I uh, could do the math, but she I won't. Would, she would be um, 53 years old now. Oh, um, my goodness. I have a 50-year-old. So. But, but uh, she died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma oh, three no. years ago. I'm sorry and to hear she that. And she left uh, two children, an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old, um, who are now 11 and 13. So you're you're definitely so a, grandmother a grandmother to sit in for several things and do what you do. Where do they live? And they the grand my grandchildren live uh, in San Rafael with their father, and then I have a younger daughter who's now 42, and she lives in Oakland with her husband, and she has two children. So and what, what does have, she do? Has she followed any footsteps have, at I all? I have four I have four grandchildren. Um, my older daughter, who died, was a marriage, marriage and family therapist. That's what we're talking and, about. And my daughter, um, Tamarind, my younger daughter, uh, is a, an accountant. She got her MBA in accounting at Cal State East Bay. Well, that's and wonderful. It's all the so, different sides of so, your life so, so she's and paying. who you are. And uh, together, your books. Would you like to re read one from your Native American or whatever you'd like to do? Um, but you've done this okay. collection of uh, Native American, uh, California poets, Native American, Native Californian poets. Okay. And we live in the land of the, uh, the Hoopa, not the Hoopa, the... The Ohlone. The Ohlone. Right. We'd be on Ohlone land, so give us a poem, sister. Okay, I'll read a, a poem by, on, right? by Deborah Miranda, who's um, an Ohlone and Costanoan, Esalen and Chumash poet. Oh. And... It, this ties into a discussion earlier about um, eminent domain and taking native lands and building the pipeline. Well, native lands have been taken for dams and all sorts uh, of, of things uh, since the beginning of the U.S. That's the native sure lands true. have been appropriated, and so this um, addresses that. It's called it's by again by Deborah A. Miranda, and it's called Indian Cartography. My father opens a map of California, traces mountain ranges, rivers, county borders like family bloodlines, Tuolumne, Salinas, Los Angeles, Paso Robles, Ventura, Santa Barbara, Satakoy, Tehachapi, places he was happy or where tragedy greeted him like an old unpleasant relative. A small blue spot marks Lake Kachuma, created when they dammed the Santa Inez, flooded a valley, divided my father's boyhood days, days he learned to swim the hard way, and days he walked across the silver scales, swollen bellies of salmon coming back to a river that wasn't there. The government paid those Indians to move away, he says. I don't know where they went. In my father's dreams, after the solace of a six-pack, he follows a longing, a deepness. When he comes to the valley, drowned by a displaced river, he swims out, floats on his face with eyes open, looks down into lands not drawn on any map. 
Maybe he sees shadows of a people who are fluid, fluent in dark water, bodies long and glinting with sharp-edged jewelry and mouths still opening, closing on the stories of our home. It's a really powerful so, poem. So yes, and that, that's, it, that's one of two poems in the anthology um, about two different lakes in California that were f formed by uh, damming Indian land. Yeah, the great thing about poetry, I realize, poetry is, is that it takes you there. It takes you there in your mind, and, and you're just there, way beyond words. Is that right, Val? Definitely. I, I was uh, kind of, uh, I could feel the sting of the water in my eyes in that, during that one. Really? And here we, are, here we are putting it, uh, and uh, here we are sending it around the world on the internet. So we have this, that people around the world are listening to this, and then and the, the same thing can happen. So this is an amazing situation we find ourselves in, Val. It always is, every Friday. Every Friday, you never the know theme exactly emerges. what's going to happen. Always is. And then, uh, like, beautiful, talented people walk through the door, and, and we've got a show. So, Lucille, you're welcome to invite anybody, anybody to stay on Friday, go on down to the Common Thread Collective. It's an open mic, and our secret, if it's, not a, it's not a secret, but is that nobody goes away mad, nobody goes away sad. Everybody goes away glad, able to do what they came to do. I like well, that philosophy. <laughs> well, that's our philosophy, isn't it? And the theme emerges if you have that philosophy. It is. But, but you had one more river poem, did you not? I have one more river poem, but I, I think I'd like to end with a happy poem. Perfect. Yes. Um, and then uh, we have this sister here. This is be uh, Joan. Hi. Joan. Joan's got some poetry to so stick around oh, and listen okay. to Joan. Okay. I, think it, I believe it all I fits. Will. So anyway, take it away. Okay. Um, so uh, this is a poem by the co-editor of this anthology, who's a Lakota poet. His name's Kurt Schweigman, and it's called Earthquakes De Defined. In my Oakland condo, daughter plays oblivious to a slight tremor. Asking her if she felt it, she did not. I tell her we need to stand in the arch of the door between the bedroom and living room area for safety, just in case a more powerful quake arrives. Daughter is curious on what causes Earth to shake. I explain as best, tectonic plates shifting, it is lost on my five-year-old. She dismisses a father's explanation to replace it with one of her own, telling me maybe earthquakes happen because Wakantanka, great spirit, stubbed his big toe. Wow. Nice. That's <laughs> Lakota? From the Lakota, they have two states, north and south, the South Dakota, and that means the Lakota people were a large people, and they're still there. We talked about what's happening in Standing Rock, and we also talked about the urban Indian, and so here's an urban Indian with his, with his daughter at a very early age, going back to the spirit uh, that we were just talking about, the great spirit. Wakataka, all my relations. So it's beautiful and right. And we had Kim, Shev, Kim who's uh, half Cherokee, and now you, do you have native friends too? Uh, yes, um, I'm a part Wampanoag, 
but Wampanoags are from Massachusetts. Oh, really? Yes, and they're the Indians who uh, celebrated the first Thanksgiving with the pilgrims, and uh, for better or worse, um, it really enabled the Mayflower pig pilgrims to survive in New England. And they survived, and they had a war on their hands, and uh, here we are so many years later. I was at the Rainbow Gathering, and uh, who's a Wampanoagam, also a rainbow. His name is Medicine Story, and uh, and uh, it's where, that's where he does. He's 84 now. He says it's his last gathering, but he what he does is uh, he's a medicine story. So stories is medicine, and medicine is stories, and that's what we're about. Wampanoagam, uh, Ojibwe, uh, Lakota, and here we and Chip. And what was our uh, Cherokee was. Uh, so here we are, yeah. and we ain't gone. In fact, we're re-emerging. Something is happening as we begin to, uh, to embrace not the idea of some god, some deity, but the idea of the spirit whose voice we hear in the wind. And so, so good, Lucille. So glad to have you here. Yeah, and thank you. And so, Lucille Lang Day. So you have uh, all these books. Is there um, a place where people can find them, get them, or uh, learn more? Uh, yes, um, uh, I have a, a website, uh, scarlettanager.com, www.scarlettanager.com, and I also have a personal website, um, lucillelangday.com, and, uh, and you can see all the Scarlett Tanager books and my own books on those two websites, and then there are links um, uh, uh, on there for, for places where you can buy them. A lot of them are, uh, are carried by small press distribution in Berkeley. Oh, that's a great and, place. Yes. And so I have my website linking there rather than to Amazon, although the books are available on Amazon. And also in San Francisco, Bird and Beckett has, Bird has Beckett. some of my books. And that's a wonderful bookstore. That's Lovely. That's it's, right. It's been such a pleasure having you here today. Thank, thank you for coming. Thank you. You too. For sure. It's Keep been, coming been, back. been fun to be here. As I will. As you can see, we're mixing together the true politics of the people and uh, the poetry and music that comes out of the true politics of the people. How <laughs> do which we hope the true politics of the people will come. We do, we, we do uh, enjoy being um, a platform here for, for free expression, but also the coming together of our communities for sure. Because we know we don't have to speak about negativity because we become... But I want you to hear Joan, right? Yes. And Joan, I don't think her poetry has been published. Has it been published? Do you have a book? Uh, I have books, but they're coming out. They're not out yet. But I do have a website called peacedrums.org. Peacedrums.org. Worry about that. How everything fits. Hey, Joan. Hey, Lucy, listen to this. Here's, uh, here's Joan. Joan what? Rivard, Joan Rivard. Joan Rivard with a couple of poems. Then we got, hey, hey, uh, Rainbow, get ready. This is how we roll here. Roll your own, folks. And thanks to Tyler out there for being on on top of the whole microphone situation and making sure everybody who wants to perform or, or share gets that chance. So um, thanks, everybody, for being part of this collective endeavor. So 
Joan, it's good to see you again. It's been a few weeks. Uh, you were here actually when Dave, you were out of town. So uh, we're back, and uh, you're back. I'm back. Yes, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I, I was gone, and I'm going away again for two weeks, but then I'm coming back. Okay, <laughs> so I, I go back and forth to, to Los Angeles. I have two poems. One of them, I've been requested to read it again, even though I wrote it, read it here two read weeks ago. And then the other one is, is a little bit more political. I think I'd like to read the political one first and then read the one that they already I already read okay all right um, it's called machines building machines set men on a weird course and the notion that some owned land and others didn't dogmas of supply and demand will be seen in history books as bizarre aberrations of a brutish time when factory children worked from dawn to dusk for crusts of bread and working poor today must get third jobs. The corporations own machines and throngs, throngs of hungry people own their work. When jungle law is so applied, the people always lose. The sweat and toil of human beings is never worth much with a huge supply. When jobs are scarce, the people can't negotiate for a fair wage. The costly and complex machines the corporations have are worth much more, and there are few since normal people can't afford them or to keep them up. The small supply of technocrap and the great demand and making deals with desperate people with no choice is a scenario that has robbed us of our hopes for a free country where we can all have a chance. Machines gave power to the few to rule the rest, whether by new weapons or corporate deals. The big fish eat the little fish and everything in sight. Box stores go up and all the mom and pop stores disappear. The Indians laughed at the notion of owning land and then they cried. The conquerors with their guns and phony deals not only wanted all the land but all the people too. There wasn't one thing on God's earth that they didn't want to take. New overlords, the ones who'd starved people since before Romans marched, now took a, a grip on the new world with legal briefs. They got the presidents to give them land and goods and to subdue the people if they started to complain. With guns and clubs that mowed down protesters seeking a living wage, including starving factory children barefoot in the snow, they got their lobbyists to rule it was okay to work people so hard it crippled them. These business entities and their attorneys grabbed the Constitution, shaped and twisted it beyond what could be recognized. They claimed the people had the right to contract, quote unquote, for the pittance they got. That it was tyranny for government to say how business should be run. Too much government, they said, as their friends ordered troops to stop the riots of the people with no bread. In their salons, smoking cigars rolled up by slaves, they used both Darwin and Paul's teachings to condone their deeds. In this great darkness, corporations had their birth, a demon child. Now, not at all human, but with all the rights of human beings. It was exempt from legal pitfalls and requirements of normal businesses. Its stockholders could not be sued or charged with crimes. Now they were free to screw the public all they could, which is exactly what they did. Not the stockholders, but the system of it. The laws were tailored, tailored to the needs and whims of the big fish. The people suffered on parched earth like they had done before. The child grew and it prospered at the people's great expense. 
I'm talking about corporations here, not individuals. I want to make that very clear. I'm not talking about the people that are wrapped up in this. They're, they're cool. They're our brothers. I want to make it clear. I'm not saying that they are doing this. They, this happened before they were born. Um, not content with America's ba vast wealth, it started wars in other lands to sell the uniforms and bombs and other stuff that made it thrive. Now that we... We've bought all we can buy, and all our jobs went overseas. The only thing left it can get from us is prison dollars if we go to jail. Letting this baby play with these machines has been disastrous for the world, for all that lives. Wow, now we got Trump. No, we, Trump. Not yet. we don't have him yet. I know. Well, we got Trump. We don't have him yet, and I don't think we ever will. But I figured it across because at one point, about three months ago, I saw a black cloud in the sky, it was a blue sky, one black cloud, and I looked at him and I said, wow, that's Donald Trump. Mm. Was going to, I, well, that was Donald, that's Donald Trump. Oh. But then the spirit spoke to me, and what she said was, love will get you everywhere, hate will get you nowhere. So I guess I can stay so long, Dr. Donald Trump, and all you represent. He's a hate, love will get you everywhere, hate will get you nowhere, and he's running in hate. Well, you got another one more poem, don't you? Yeah, I do. You know, that, that whole Republican agenda runs on hate and, and on thinking it's right for, you know, mess everything up. <laughs> I think Trump is not only going to go down, but he's going to take the Republican Party down with him. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about much. Cruz and all the others, uh, all the few we hear about, and they'll go the way of the Whigs. One time, the uh, most powerful political party, now a nothing. They went down, down, down. See you later, Republicans. Give us our next poem. Then we got Rainbow ready to play. <laughs> yes, well, here's the poem that uh, I was asked to read again. And I have a disclaimer, like I did before. Uh, I want to make the point that I do not believe like uh, a lot of the Christian religions. I, I reject uh, almost all of their teachings. Uh, what I believe in is the things that the four Gospels actually say Jesus actually said. And, and I, yeah, which was love one another 5,500 times. That was all basically what he said. And so, you know, I won't go into any detail, but I, I've written a book called The Liberal's Bible Guide, which shows, you know, how much Paul added, how awful it is, and how all these things that make us so uncomfortable with that religion came almost exclusively from him and his friends. Mine called Since Paul. What better cover for the murder? of the sons and daughters of light down through history than a church that claims to speak in his name. Yeah, yeah it's been, uh, I, I want to make sure people know that before I read this okay, poem, because well, when I use the G word, I'm not talking about, you know, just some guy in the sky that you worship. There's something more, more going on here. And is it that we connect to? And so kind of read your poem. All right, it says, Peace Drums is the name of the poem. People have heard God speaking in the clouds or in the rushing wind or in bells. I hear this in the drums, the drums of all the nations beating together, struck with such power by the pacifists. Eyes closed and long hair waving free, the drummers seem transported on idealist dreams. Their hopes fixed inwardly on the great world of the sublime. They reach for heaven on earth. 
God says so much in the mighty pounding of the drums, which shakes the ground. What a great force the hopes and dreams of those who wear the tie-dyed cloth, who lift the peace banners so high. Isn't it they who represent some of the best man has achieved? Aren't their beliefs of universal brotherhood exactly those that Jesus preached? Brother and sister are the names we know each other by in paradise, not by the titles in the ranks of the machine. The strong hands of the drummers never tire, pounding out the heartbeat of a great people. The sound of swords turned into plowshares is their happy song. Gone are the slaughter in the prisons when Christ in us is come. Ages of ignorance and lies are soon dispelled when the holy word of love is formed. These people don't believe in war and want to put the golden rule to strong political effect. Respect is the sole dogma to which they cleave, and the cooperation of civilized folks with common sense. Christ's paradise is not so far when hearts embrace a love for all and visions of hope and healing on the earth. Treating others the way they'd like to be treated is the litmus test of their religion, which has no walls and doesn't fit in books. God tells me in the drums that their gentle ways can move mountains of greed and hate, trying at last what Jesus really said. They are the cornerstone which the builders cast off, and what is written in their hearts is greater than the brute force of the world. Beautiful. Well, that takes me back. You said you were at 10 rainbow gatherings, and I've been at many, many, many rainbow gatherings. I was right there in the, in the Green Mountains of Vermont, and the drums go all night long. Rainbow Gathering. I'm also thinking of inviting everybody within the voice of if you're within the, well, with, if you're closer and want to come through, come to the drum circle on Hippie Hill on Sunday. It's going to be a beautiful Sunday, and that drum circle has gone for quite some time. Is that right? Yes, it is. And that's the die-die ones we're talking about, but it's also totally multicultural and multiracial. Just bring your drum, or there's also saxophones, and whatever it be happening. Drum oh, it's circle. wonderful. There's keyboards, guitars, saxophones, but the drums are very special. The drums, yeah. just the drums by themselves, it's a heartbeat. It's it's a spiritual trance that the drummers get into, and, and it's it's like a nexus of that whole peace movement, the, you know, the, that meadow where, where in the summer of love people gathered uh, in, in that part of that park. It's it's like a, a, centri- a vortex. I was there. For the things that we believe in. And I in. still get there from time to time. I'm in the middle bottoms now. But you reminded me, and if it's a beautiful day like this, I will be. I think we can find it. Let's meet at Hippie Hill. Oh, I would like to. Unfortunately, oh, I'm going, going to, to Los Angeles. Well, I'll be, yeah. I'll be there in, two, in about three weeks, though. I'll be okay, back let me know on I'll Hippie Hill. I'll come on back. Come on back through, Joan, and thank you for bringing your poetry oh, so again, beautiful. and and, like, and more of that work show. there on your website, peacedrums.org. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to read a little quick little poem, and then we'll go to Rainbow, Rainbow, who's been sitting there patiently as our friend out there. It's something from the last piece jumped and made me think of this piece. In a world of perfect anarchy, our children have no names. As we pass the gate, forget them all. I am mother, you are daughter and son, and soon we'll be free to adapt and adopt whatever and whomever we wish to be. Well, we're working on it. We're putting it here. Beautiful, though. It was. Thanks, Rainbow. And it's. uh, And Rainbow's got a couple songs for us, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, This is part two of a song called "Karma Going Down." 
This is the Exodus part. Hey, is it okay to start? Okay, here it goes. Praise be to Allah, smoking marijuana. Just under a shaded trail Ain't bad the way it ought to be It ought to be It ought to be Lots of pretty people smiling Cause it's growing kind of wild Yeah, and they're smoking On it for free That's the way it was meant to be Meant to be Come when he hollers. There's love in us. Be alright. Stepping into the light, into the light, into the light, into the light. Much. Thank you. Welcome back, Diamond Dave. I'm daydreaming about read. Oh yeah, right. Cool. I'm daydreaming about freedom. Lord, you're hoping that you'll come. Remembering when I saw her when a man is seasons pass, many seasons pass, many seasons pass. We were singing, singing those songs of peace. Was the power of Oh, really? 
at ease and it freed us from the big freed us from the bees freed us from the bees Lord I love that girl ain't no other like her in this world I only hope that I see her again and my love is not in vain my love is not in vain no my love is not in I guess my life, it still goes on And though I'm just a human You know I'm doing the best I can Doing the best I can Doing the best I can I'm daydreaming about freedom Lord, she'll only go to some Leaving others dreaming Chasing away the demon Chasing away the demon yeah, Chasing away the demon so much i love you guys man oh, you're an inspiration you're an inspiration too rainbow thank you daydreaming about freedom how much i mean that's just a quintessentially here while we're here at the common thread collective that's what we'd like to that's the message uh daydreaming about freedom and all good things rainbow you're awesome thank you so much and joan so great to see you um have a great trip uh you know, may it, may it be long, strange, and fun, and safe. <laughs> You're listening to the Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm, and we're cruising along into our final hour here, our final 45 minutes or so. And we've got a, a, a relatively new friend who showed up a few weeks ago, uh, coming, hanging out around the neighborhood, and walked in and said, what's going on? 
and we said we got a show and he said i got a guitar and my name is mark and uh i think mark's going to get set up in just a, in just a moment here so in the meantime um we were talking about uh wonk and tonkin so here's a little music from a, the international group lost at last and uh, as soon as we get him set up we'll be back with some live music on global val to the Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm, San Francisco and worldwide, and uh, spreading the word and spreading the love into the 21st century here. So we're back with uh, live performances here from our friend Mark, who's up on stage, and it looks like he's all set up to play us a couple of songs. So uh, Mark, take it away, friend. Yeah, all right. Um, I still haven't decided what I'm going to play. I've had a really weird week with lots of uh, building dwellers taking out all their anger on homeless people, on me, 
And it really has been annoying because um, I get how homeless people suck ass, but some of us are really nice. But anyway, here's a John Lennon song. As soon as you're born, they make you feel small By giving you no time instead of it all Till the pain is so big you feel nothing at all But a working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be They hurt you at home and they hit you at school They hate you if you are clever and they despise a fool Till you're so fucking crazy you can't follow their rules A working class hero is something to be 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 When they've tortured and scared you for 20 odd years uh, Then they expect you to pick a career When you can't really function you're so full of fear Working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. Keep you doped on religion and sex and TV. And you think you're so clever and classless and free But you're still fucking peasants as far as I can see But a working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be a working class hero is something to be. There's room at the top, they are telling you still. But first you must learn how to smile as you kill. If you want to be like all the fancy people on the hill A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something, I guess And if you want to be a hero, well, just follow me Yeah, Mark. That's a John Lennon song. Yeah. And a John Lennon song. Uh, I got that he wrote. another one about how pissed off I am at the world. You want to hear it? 
<laughs> a John Lennon song that he wrote near the end of his life when he was fleeing from being the top of, at the top of the market, looking down. Suddenly he said, this, this ain't it. It's a working class hero right here in the community. Gonna tell all you fascists, you may be surprised. People all over this world are getting organized. You're bound to lose. You fascists are bound to lose. All you fascists are bound to lose. All you fascists are bound to lose. You're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. Race hatred cannot stop us is one thing I know. Your poll tax and Jim Crow greed have got to go. Your time bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. All you fascists are bound to lose. All you fascists are bound to lose. You're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. People of every color marching side by side. Marching across the fields where a thousand fascists died. You're bound to lose. You fascists are bound to lose. All you fascists are bound to lose. All you fascists are bound to lose. You're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. Going into this battle, take my union gun. We'll end this world of slavery for this battle's won. You're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. All you fascists bound to lose. All you fascists are bound to lose. You're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose. <laughs> fascists bound to lose. Nice, Mark. I think that's my favorite uh, performance of yours yet. Well, you get better oh, practice. It may not make perfect, but it does make better, better. Thank you. I'm getting less nervous. Nice, nice. Well, that's one of the things we, we like about uh, having this space here and, and having the Common Thread Collective is uh, you can come in and you can, you can play and you can... Uh, Think about, oh, what am I going to play next week? And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. So thank you. I'm glad you're around, man. And of course. And you're all very lovely. I can say so. Thank you. It's uh, really nice to have this place to come to every Friday. Cool. Well, welcome, welcome. If I can say something shortly, Woody Guthrie had on his guitar for a good share of his life. When he's Woody Guthrie, he had on his guitar. He said, this machine kills fascists. And Bondaloo, hey, Max. We got you, and then we got some special guests. We're uh, we're, we're short for time. Thank you, brother. Our time is short. We want to pack it all in. So hey, Max, get on up there. Hey, if, uh, don't forget tomorrow Sunday is Jerry Day. Right. Yeah, at you the, were going to talk more about that. At the Jerry at the Jerry Garcia Amphitheater in the neighborhood he was he grew up in the Excelsior at McLaren Park. Come to the uh, Jerry D. Jerry Amphitheater. Yeah, and yeah, McLaren Park, Park up there. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful amphitheater. I love, I love that spot up in McLaren Park. The only thing about McLaren Park is getting there. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a Brigadoon. You're like, where am I going? And then you get up there and you realize there's this beautiful park up on the hill, and um, okay, oh, no. it's a very, very cool okay, spot. So, um, yeah, Jerry Garcia Day, of course, a native San Franciscan himself. Um, so am I. And so it was Kim Shuck who we had at the beginning of the show. 
And uh, it's been a really cool show already. Um, we've got poetry. Uh, we've had a memoir. We've had music. Um, we had Lucid call in. And, and I, this is a good reminder, though. Uh, Lucid called in. And talking about the Dakota Access Pipeline project, um, there's a big blockade yesterday of this pipeline that they want to construct, this 1,172 miles of pipeline um, from North Dakota, and um, through these, uh, and it's a lot of the land is being acquired by the Energy Transfer Partners, which is private, um, using eminent domain uh, to build for-profit private uh, pipeline. And the Science and Environmental Health Network reported that this pipeline will harm the commons. Um, and so uh, eminent domain is supposed to uh, be able to, the government seizure of land for things that will help the commons. And so uh, we see a big uh, dastardly deed up there. So let's pay attention because it's just the XL pipeline in, uh, in sh different clothing. So I, <laughs> so I see. I think. A good conversation, too. And that's one thing we encourage, we need more of, is good conversation. So let's keep that happening. And here be Max.
So that's it for that thing.
you go. Thanks, Val. Thanks, hey, guys. thanks, Max. That was that was really cool. I'm glad you brought your amp. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm still, you know, learning my way around electric guitar a bit, but it's fun. <laughs> well, I could tell you're having fun with it, and you sound great. So thank you for coming into play. And uh, I'm gonna we're gonna get our next band up there. We're we're kind of getting got about another 20 minutes left of the show um so in between then while the band gets set up i'm gonna play a little jerry garcia of course a little grateful dead because uh sunday is jerry day at jerry garcia amphitheater here in san francisco in mclaren park Set out running, but I take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. I get home before daylight, just might get some sleep tonight. Ran into the devil, baby, lonely twenty bills. Spent the night in Utah in a cave up in the hills. Set out running, but I take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. I get home before
magnolia blossoms blooming. That's all empty and I don't care. So my baby down by the river, knew she'd have to come up soon for air. Calls me sweet blossom gamma under the willow. We can have high times if you look back. We can discover the wonders of nature. Right on. Hey, you're listening to the Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm, San Francisco and worldwide, streaming around the planet on the internet. And we send our love out to everybody who's listening, um, wherever you may be. And so it is an open mic, and uh, we're... Uh, it's really cool. These guys show, came in through today, and I believe. Well, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and your and your band? Hi, we are. Well, I'm Zombie, uh, and I'm Kent. And we are from Mexico, and our band is called Epic Fail. Epic, Epic Fail. <laughs> and we're just uh, we're just on a little mini tour down the coast. So. Very cool. I actually saw you guys on our Facebook page today because uh, you might be in town next Saturday if if yeah, uh, you yeah. may be around for the yeah. open mic that we're kind of putting together. So we that, can talk about that, that after the show. Yeah, yeah, of course. All right. Well, thanks, you guys. Yeah. Play, give us a couple, couple songs at least. Okay, cool. Okay, so. this is called Dr. Gypsy. Uh, it's our newest single. You can get it online uh, or anywhere. Whatever these crazy kids are buying stuff on these days. Check the video. It's uh, on YouTube. Uh, Fail, Dr. Gypsy. Yeah, we just uh, we actually just won uh, at the Seattle uh, Transmedia Independent Film Festival for Best Music Video, and we're going to be featured in the Long Beach Independent Film Festival, the Sidewalk Film Festival in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, where we're actually going to be playing on the main stage as well as the Kingston Kingston Film Festival Kingston, we're also in there. So Well there you go. Let's play. <laughs> I'm the one you call when you're chosen. The one to show you what you're missing. Never off your back to a closing And I will never stop till you're dancing You come inside and see for yourself In the name of good help me of Something for your hands, something for your toes, something for your ears, something for your toes, something for your head, something for your blood, something for your tears, your love, doctor knows. Consultation gratis, exaltation army. Bienvenidos families, I can give you all peace. Something for your head, something for your toes, something for your ears, something for your nose, something for your tears, something for your nose. Your love, doctor knows. Mio farmacia. Mio farmacia. 
I'm the one you find when you're cruising. I can give you love when you're bruising. You can tell yourself it's your choosing. I will never stop till you lose it. Step inside and see for yourself. In the name of God, help me, oh, Pharmacia. Let me show you all the specials and offertas and sweet dulces, brother. Don't forget the marionetas and paletas. Pa' que tengas cigarrillos, las jeringas. We have all go para toda la familia. All the specials and offertas and sweet dulces. Don't forget the marionetas and paletas. Pa' que tengas cigarrillos, las jeringas. We have all go para toda la familia. Come to me. Super fun and energetic. I like it. I like it. <laughs> see us with the full band. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool to see you guys with the full band. So your band is called Epic Fail. Epic Fail, yeah. And I, I got to shout out the other members. Uh, it's Ben Santana on the drums, Samuel Sombra on bass, and Carlos Street Stevo sings this track. Right on. So the al- new album is called Dr. Gypsy, right? Well, the new single is called single? Dr. Gypsy. Ah, it's a way, single. We, Got haven't, it. we haven't put out the full album yet. We're getting on it. Right on. <laughs> hey, understood, understood. Well, uh, give us another song, guys. That'd be great. Okay, okay. This, is, this is another single coming out, and this one's called Welcome.
They said you were kind of lazy, but this is our kind of lazy. You were always so big time. We can start dressing in paisleys, and I can start acting all spacey. But if you start looking all racy, you sure I can show you crazy. Then you'll know just what I mean when I say, Welcome to the world. Yeah, we got whips and toys. I said, Welcome to the world. Yeah, bring your girls and boys. I said, Welcome to the world. The blisters got that cord. I said, Welcome to the world. I said, Welcome to the world. I said you found the city They said you were kind of shady But we can all be that many You were always so big down We can start dancing to antics And I can start off with But if you start dancing to then raise Then the real world that will blaze Then you'll know just what I mean When I fucking say Welcome to the world. Yeah, we got whips and toys. I said, oh, welcome to the world. Yeah, bring your girls and boys. I said, oh, welcome to the world. Yeah, the bristles have been cold. I said, oh, welcome to the world. I said, oh, welcome to the Stop quoting Nietzsche. Yeah, please, God, stop quoting Nietzsche.
Right on. Well, epic, epic fail. I think you guys are more of an epic success, personally. Um, but that was rocking and awesome. Uh, thanks for plugging in. Oh, thank you so much for having us. And uh, tell people once again how they can uh, find your music or uh, see you guys live. Okay, if you write in uh, "epic fail Dr. Gypsy" on YouTube, you'll pull up our latest music video. Uh, if you go to CD Baby or iTunes or any of that stuff and you look up Epic Fail Dr. Gypsy or Epic Fail uh, Welcome. Welcome to the World, uh, those are our two singles that are out. And we're going to be dropping in uh, Half Price Books in Fremont tomorrow at around 2 o'clock to do a little, a little more toned down, kind of a book reading with, uh, with some music. And yeah, and uh, I mean, hopefully we'll come back here next weekend. Yeah, right on. Yeah, well, then that's a good opportunity. We'll remind everybody next weekend is the Noise Pop Block Festival uh, block party over on 20th Street. So for the past few years, Mutiny Radio has been on the map for that. And we're going to be having programming from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all day Saturday, Oct uh, August 20th. And um, what we're talking about here is there's a, an open mic that we're going to be kind of curating um, in advance. So that's going to be from 6 p.m. till 7.45 p.m. next Saturday, the 20th. But check out mutinyradio.fm and see all the stuff that we're going to be doing that day for um, Noise Pop. And it's actually going to start off in the afternoon with a clothing swap right here in the studios of Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street. So right on, you guys. Thank you so much. And, uh, hopefully we're going to see you next Friday. And uh, we're going to be, we've got a few more minutes here in the show. We've got to kind of uh, keep moving along here. I know that Bloodflower is over at the piano, and I believe that James Zealous is around here somewhere, and he's going to be reading probably a little bit of Jay Krishnamurti, if we can, if we can locate um, that fine gentleman. Uh, anybody? Anyone? Zealous? Zealous? <laughs> James Zealous? Let's see. Well, I'm just going to turn on uh, Bloodflower's microphone. Oh, there you are. Thank you. Oh, you appeared from the ether. Thank you, James. Thank you, Global Val. It's Mr. J. Krishnamurti. The river was very wide here, almost a mile and very deep. In midstream, the waters were clear and blue. But towards the banks they were sullied, dirty and sluggish. The sun was setting behind the huge sprawling city up the river, and the smoke and the dust of the town were giving marvelous colors to the setting sun, which were reflected on the wide and dancing waters. It was a lovely evening and every blade of grass, the trees and the chattering birds were caught in timeless beauty. Nothing was separate, broken up. The noise of a train rattling over the distant bridge was part of this complete stillness. Not far away, a fisherman was singing. There were wide and cultivated strips along both banks during the day, the green, luscious fields were smiling and inviting. But now they were dark, silent, and withdrawn. On this side of the river, there was a large, uncultivated space where the children of the village flew their kites and romped about in noisy enjoyment and where the nets of the fishermen were spread out to dry. 
They had the primitive boats anchored there. The village was just above, higher up the bank, and generally they'd been singing, dancing, and some other noisy affair going on up there. But this evening, though they were all out of their huts and sitting about, the strangers were quiet and strangely thoughtful. A group of them were coming down the steep bank, carrying out a bamboo litter, a dead body covered with white cloth. They passed by, and I followed. Going to the river's edge, they put down the litter, almost touching the water. They had brought with them fast-burning logs and heavy logs and wood. Making of these a pyre, they laid the body on it, sprinkling it with water from the river, and covering it with more wooden hay. A very young man lit the pyre. There were about 20 of us, and we all gathered around. There were no women present. And the men sat on their haunches, wrapped in their white cloth, completely still. The fire was getting intensely hot. We had to move back a bit. A charred leg! Black rose out of the fire, and it was pushed back with a long stick, but it wouldn't stay. And a heavy log was thrown on it. The bright yellow flames were reflected on the dark water, and so were the stars. The slight breeze had died down with the setting of the sun. Except for the crackling of the fire, everything was very still. Death was there, burning. Amidst all those motionless people and the living flames, there was infinite space. A, a measureless silence. A measureless distance. A vast aloneness. There was not something apart, separate and divided from life. The beginning was there and ever the beginning. Presently, the skull was broken, the villagers began to leave. The last one to go must have been a relative. He folded his hands, saluted, and slowly went up the bank. There was very little left now. Towering flames were quiet. The only glowing embers remained. The few bones that did not burn would be thrown into the river tomorrow morning. The immensity of death, the immediacy of it, and how near. With the burning away of the body, one also died. One also died. There was complete aloneness, and yet no apartness. Aloneness, but not isolation. Isolation is of the mind, but not of death. Incredible.
What a beautiful day here at Mutiny Radio. Wow, the Common Thread Collective. Thank you, James Zealous, for reading Jay Krishnamurti and for Bloodflower for playing along on the piano and uh, our friend there on guitar. What a great show today. It's been a beautiful day, really. It's been uh, moving in many, in so many different ways. Hey, eh, Dave? In so many different ways. And what uh, what I like about it, come to think of it, is not only are we doing it, talk about what we should do, we're doing it by doing it, with we're doing it, and the people come through the door, and everybody's included, everybody gets included, and nobody goes away mad, nobody goes away sad, everybody goes away glad, able to do what they came to do, in company with the others who come to do what they come to do, and it's about doing more together than any of us could do in our uh, any of us can do on our own diamond dave glad to have you back from your far out far flung uh journeys and uh again thank you everyone for being a part of the common thread collective i'm global val we're going to be here next friday as we are every friday and do come by on saturday the 20th it's going to be a great day here at mutiny radio tons of fun stuff going on check out the website um we're part of the noise pop block party um map they're just a the block party is just a block away on 20th street we're on 21st and um yeah if you check the facebook page there is um the mutiny radio open mic uh we're kind of curating an open mic for the 6 to 7 45 p.m hour on that saturday the 20th if you'd like to submit we're going to be um we'd love to have you submit uh, a sample of what you do and everybody's going to get basically five minute slots so um we're building that show it's going to be a great show i'm going to be hosting and um yeah it's going to be a great time so we hope to come through on saturday the 20th as well and uh, of course, uh, we were saying earlier that the in tribute to Jerry Garcia, it's going to be Jerry Day over at McLaren Park this Sunday, August 14th, um, all day long at the Jerry Garcia Amphitheater. And that is Sunday. And also Sunday at Modern Times Books, um, 4 o'clock, Kim Shuck is hosting the reading with Nina Serrano. And, um, and uh, I forget the other guy, Curtis Blackwell and uh, Leticia... Hernandez. Um, but we'll be doing it. We'll see you here next week. And uh, here's a little poem for you. Oh, brother. Oh, brother. I'd like to take your hand and tell you it's all true. All the sources of the pain. Let's pull the plug and let it drain. Find forgiveness in the rain. It'll start to fool the, fill the pools and there'll be a lightness to your blue. And it can all start anew. We love you guys. And girls, and everybody in between. Peace, y'all, from the Common Thread.
remember no number, a number I can use. Directory don't have it, central done forgot it, got to find a number to use. Trying to check out a number, trying to run down a line. Operator says that's privileged information and it ain't no business of mine. It's flooding down in Texas, the poles are out in Utah, got to find a private line. You could be hanging around a steel mill. Working in a house of blue lights Riding a getaway bus out of Portland Talking to the night I don't know where she's going Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. 
They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission Hive vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. 
awesome and underground space